I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, and I'm here to help with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This week, we gratuitously destroy the episode of NXT that originally aired on December 18th, 2014, even though we don't have a problem with it. Nothing we do makes us shameful. Welcome to episode 83 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, I didn't work here. I understand that a guy named Sammy (laughs) had a big night. Uh, Congratulations slash condolences on that, I guess. This episode, we meet the other new guy on the podcast, uh, Kevin. We find out whether Adrian Neville's case of helitis is clearing up. And Baron Corbin and Bull Dempsey carry on with their epic squash measuring contest. (laughs) we'll hear about all of that in bob's breakdown after that we'll dig into the sights sounds and feels of pro wrestling we'll also be handing out the lawrence bolivier award for commitment to the bit and after that megan bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing soap opera of nxt in a segment we call the next big thing (gasps) that segment is starting this week which means bob doesn't have a guest from last week for us to discuss which means that the time is already here to jump into bob's breakdown Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for like coming in here, doing this, <laughs> giving proof that we do not promote from within. You know, we had an outside hiring process. We looked at a lot of resumes and we're like, no, definitely not Bob, who's been here on the ground floor since the beginning. But no, you know what? No, it's fine. It's fine. I love writing the breakdown. I'm thrilled to be able to handcraft these jokes every two weeks to just like, you know, offer up on a platter to feed to you as you sit on that Shea Lounge like a fucking decadent Roman senator. Oh, listen, it's going to take about six episodes before you've broken down as much wrestling for me as I broke down for you for AEW alone, Bob. Look, we have the rest of the run of this podcast to fight about this. (laughs) I'll, I'll just get started. Okay. We get a recap of our evolution, much of its sepia tone, which is fucking wild considering this happened like a week ago for people watching NXT at the time. Ah, uh, yes, those halcyon days of last Thursday. It's also in slow motion. There's extra gravitas. All that we're missing. Frankly, disappointment that they didn't do it. Like, newsreel, and then old-timey reporter talking about giving the Kaiser what for. <laughs> but it's been a while since we watched, so let me refresh your memory. Kevin Owens beat CJ Parker. Lucha Dragons retained against the VOD Villains. Baron Corbin beat Ty Dillinger. Finn Balor and Hideo Itami beat The Ascension. Charlotte retained against Sasha Banks. And then Sami Zayn beat Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship. And then, as anybody with an IWTV subscription could have predicted, if IWTV was around at the time, which it may not have been, Sami Zayn got betrayed by Kevin Owens. He was thoroughly destroyed on the edge of the ring apron by his hottie best friend, KO. Okay. A-U-G-H-T or O-T-T? Which hottie? 
Which one do you fucking think? I don't know. I T T I E. <laughs> okay. Commentary. Rich Brennan, Jason Albert, Corey Graves. Graves makes a real point to start out being a piece of shit about his extremely relative handsomeness compared to Jason Albert. Corey Graves, stay in your fucking lane. You're trash. <laughs> you are not even special trash. You are generic trash that I would not be able to pick out of a lineup of skinny boys who were in a bad punk band for a minute in the early 2000s and had a bunch of sticky pictures of suicide girls under their mattress. Stop body shaming Jason Albert and move the fuck on. It's a very specific moment in history where someone would have pictures of suicide girls under their mattress. But I no, I respect it. Absolutely. He is 100% that, though. <laughs> Chris, do you consider commentators sniping at each other to be player versus player behavior a la like RPG stuff? Or do you like it? Do you think it should be done in a specific way? Feelings, thoughts, emotions, whatever. Well, you know, the RPG analogy is very good because player versus player is not inherently bad as long as everybody's still playing the same game. Like we're trying to enjoy ourselves. We're trying to tell a story. Part of that story may be that we have an antagonism between us, but that's something we're playing not something where we're fighting over control of the game. And in the same way, as long as we're not fighting over control of the show or control of the narrative for real, then it's fine. I, I think a lot of great commentary teams and vibes have been commentators who are not on the same page in character as long as they're on the same page out of character. When it gets into like commentators kind of just doing bad improv shit where it's like, mm. no, no, no. I like you're trying to make a joke or you're trying to have an insight and I'm fighting oh, with you because I want to be the one who makes a point. Then it becomes a problem. That's where I stand on. it. I think inherently, absolutely not an issue. And the master, as everyone knows, is Bobby Heenan. Look to Bobby mm. Heenan as the shining beacon of heel commentator. This is a guy who knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what he can get away with and what he can't. Always working toward putting over the story, not toward putting himself over, mm. but becomes a legend of commentary just because he plays his role so well and like absolutely nails when he's saying something that the listener is supposed to understand to be bullshit there is no question about it. And he is like shamelessly, defiantly putting forward the wrong opinion in a way that puts over the baby face. Wow. In a Zen way. Perfect. That's very powerful. Sorry, I've just lost and going like, that's a skill. I need to put that on my list of skills I want to acquire for what reason I don't know, but I just want to be able to do it. That would be fun to have in like a workplace. I was going to say, it's what I do on this podcast, like how I'm always like, nagging you but in a way that the listener knows that i'm wrong and you're great that's it's basically that <laughs> well okay thank you now you made me uncomfortable with your praise you're really <laughs> i was not prepared for that back in your heel persona all right in ring segment magic happens it's that good shit neville comes out here and addresses the audience to say that it should be sammy here he calls it the match of his career it's obvious that he's being like Adrian Neville, but the audience is just, oh, they're just overflowing with smarky love and being appreciative for everything he's done, everything he's doing for NXT. There's a thank you Neville chant and an it was awesome chant in reference to the championship match. And obviously now it gets very fanficy because it has to, this is wrestling. 
Neville yearns, you see. He longs. He pines to look up the ramp and see his very good friend, (laughs) Sammy Zane, waiting there. That he could shake Sammy Zane's hand. He's been denied this by one person. That Kevin Owens motherfucker. And speak of that motherfucker, here he comes now. I know this is not hard choices. I recognize that it's hard choices. Look, we've been away for a while. Things have happened. I was mainlining a lot of shit. I continue to be mainlining a lot of shit. This podcast is going to be what it is. KO is rapidly making his way into my top three. God damn. Kevin Owens is everything Corey Graves wished he could be, but so much better even. I'm turning to the listener. Chris, you can leave for this part. Turning to the listener. Specifically the listener that fucks dudes. Okay. You know, actually, Chris, you can stay for this. <laughs> okay. Corey Graves is the person that you know you shouldn't take home because fucking look at him. Kevin Owens, you could absolutely take home and totally pass as a normal guy. But what he does to you the moment he gets you alone in your childhood bedroom definitely reminds you that you're playing with fire because Corey Graves is going to be like telling you yeah keep quiet Kevin Owens 100% hopes you scream hopes you get caught looking exactly like this he's beautiful perfect I fully understand the vibe you're talking about Corey Graves is like this chicken shit might kill me whereas yes Kevin Owens I'm gonna be fine but he definitely killed somebody else (laughs) yes thank you you get it yes okay neville's not writing fanfic though he's writing wrongs that was shameful mate and like i don't know he says it neville took something as basic as shame on you man (laughs) and made it sound like like a real burn like and everybody in the audience was kind of like oh yeah you were fuck you and there was a shame on you chant have you ever heard anything in a promo or you know in ring whatever that wasn't a burn. Because obviously saying like, just, you know, shame on you. How dare you? It's, that's nothing. But yet it landed like, actually, that was morally unacceptable here in wrestling. How dare you? Have you ever heard any of that shit land as a proper burn in <sighs> wrestling other than like this instance? Or is that just it normally it just falls very flat and you're like, ah, yes, John Cena is telling somebody <laughs> to be respectful. You know what? A specific instance doesn't come to mind, but I definitely see this move and I think it's very effective. Because it feels like Neville is calling in KO. Ah, look at you. There's the regular stuff where we come out to the ring and like talk shit about each other. But and I think this is really important because of the recent positioning of Neville, that he has had this kind of heel tendency. And it's very important here to distinguish between what Neville's been doing and what KO has done. And so for Neville to call out KO with this positioning that like, okay, there's wrestling and there's business, and that's one thing. This is something else. And like, as a friend of yours, let me tell you that I'm ashamed of what you just did. It's like what a lawyer says in front of a judge versus a lawyer going to another lawyer behind the scenes. Like, what you did in court today was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, a totally different register. 
Chris has been watching a lot of the practice, so I'm guessing this is going to be coming up. <laughs> in the, this, You'll get to see, like, what has Chris been watching lately as the podcast progresses? What's Bob been watching? Always Good Witch, Always Columbo. <laughs> First of all, yes, true. I've been watching the practice. I just watched the episode that crosses over Allie McBeal and the practice, which is like... Nice. High level, like there's some pro wrestling shit there for sure. We could talk about on another episode, <laughs> but maybe I'll do that for my fucking like special bonus episode when right. you lose a bunch of next big things. I'll like, let's do an episode of the practice. Let's do an episode of fucking Alan McBeal. <laughs> Chris wants to argue like moral and philosophical points for an hour. <laughs> Bobby Donnell, shithead or shittest head. That's what makes this hit. And it's done in wrestling other times. I think that you can make the move of at a certain point distancing yourself from the pageantry of wrestling and saying, that's one thing, but this is over the line in a different way. I think that was done with Steve Austin to great effect. There was an interview segment on Raw where like they had a camera crew, you know, ostensibly in Brian Pillman's house. And Steve Austin like showed up to Brian Pillman's house with a gun. Jesus. Yeah. And it's like the way that was put over as like, okay, there's like there's the regular shit that wrestlers do to each other. Stone Cold Steve Austin is a bad person and a menace and a problem that allows you to take it to another level that wakes people up from the regular like heel babyface shenanigans. And I think in a much less lurid way, that's exactly what this promo does. It's very efficient, very deft. It absolutely makes you think like we've been hating Adrian Neville for a long time now. Speak for yourself. Kevin Owens is something different. <laughs> KO is indifferent to this moral argument. He wants to get to the top and he'll fight any goddamn fool on the way there. Does Neville want to go? Then they can fucking go. So our main event is planned. Backstage. Uh, Devin interviews Becky Lynch about attacking Bailey before our evolution. Becky very sternly says, I have a match to get ready for. Devin just like smiles and keeps going. I was like, same girl, same. <laughs> Becky Lynch, super mean about Bailey and says, yeah. At the end of her sentences, like a girl from like the North side that I would 100% have let punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, thank you. Becky Lynch really has had a broad spectrum of different characters that you would fuck, right? Yeah. Well, look, Neil is 100% the reason why I did not die while I was studying at Trinity. <laughs> the <laughs> amount of time I just spent internally screaming, like when a girl with a really thick Dublin accent would talk, it is a wonder I passed any of my courses and got a master's while I was over there. <laughs> oh, and I guess also the thing that, you know, Becky Lynch was talking about, Becky's going to end Bailey's career. I'm going to try and do it permanently god damn i can't quite do it she fucking did it with these like little pauses and it's so hot okay well you're gonna have to look you know what do yourself a favor i'm never gonna give you the becky lynch experience go to this episode just watch this it's beautiful okay package prince pretty is taking off to do some modeling for a while but he'll be back in the meantime he'll keep us updated with where he goes i am keeping my fingers crossed think they have the budget for it we get a lot of green screen Tyler Breeze in the future. I don't know where they're going to put him. Like, somewhere fancy. And also, missed opportunity. Put him in some fucking high concept weird fashion shit. Or failing that, just some random shit and say that it's weird high concept fashion shit. Put him in fishing waders and pasties. I want to see this. 
they don't have the vision. They're not going to give me this. They don't. I just have to say, because I haven't been on the show, I haven't been able to talk about Tyler Breeze, who truly is like one of the great like wrestling loves of my life in a weird way. Like I think Tyler Breeze, I would compare him to like Triple H as a guy who comes out, gets over in like a high concept character has difficulty escaping that character, but has like underlying skills that cannot be denied. <laughs> For real, like Tyler Breeze is a great wrestler. The problem is, in no way has Tyler Breeze ever seemed like a guy who puts anything on Instagram but his little dog. <laughs> there's n- no chance. <laughs> Outside of wrestling, there's no chance that, that this man has ever put anything on social media Except like, here's my dumb, dorky, hot, straight man wife. Mm. Nonetheless, I love his character. It just like, we all understand he is not that guy. Everything about him screams that he is not that guy. And I think the lack of like fashion fashion from him is very much not even that it's a problem, but it's just a fact about him. Like, there's a real strong vibe coming from him as a real human being that his character cannot overcome. Women's action. Bailey comes out to a massive crowd pop, but also note that she is wearing a knee brace. Commentary is not letting us forget that fact. Everybody on commentary gets to make their own knee brace comment. It is very, you know, (laughs) everybody gets a turn. Becky Lynch also gets plenty of love from the crowd. And in their defense, she's doing a lot of headbanging, which I personally find Very impressive now that I have the inner ear of somebody in their late 30s. (laughs) I was like, she stood up after that? Oh my god. She had like superpowers? That's insane. I never thought that I would see somebody do that and go, oh, I have a headache just watching that. And I'm like, oh. All right. Bailey's in a feisty mood. She goes at Becky with all... You know, the clubbing and shoving, even doing some shouting at Becky, which Bailey's not always shout during these things while she's smacking Becky around. That is how you want it. If someone's silent while they're roughing you up, how do you know they're even really thinking about you? Maybe they're <laughs> thinking about the jobber they beat up last week. You don't know. Hmm? Becky pulls a real food network, turns to the injured knee and says, here's something I prepared earlier. And then starts like working it over. Does not take much. There's a handful of tussles, but once Becky locks in a figure four, I don't know. It looked like figure four, but like with extra, she was like getting the, I don't know. It looked different than Charlotte's figure four. But anyway, it was a thing. Bailey's face down. Her knee is torqued to fuck. She taps out within like, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, giving Lynch the victory. Ah, but did Becky Lynch end Bailey's career permanently? Stay tuned. Backstage, Charlotte made her Raw debut super recently. She has a match against Sasha coming up. But NXT is her throne, so like, uh, don't even worry about it. Don't worry, I was not worried about it. I am worried about how fucking breathtakingly beautiful Renee is with a little braid crown. I don't usually have like the, I want to hold hands with her. But Renee is extremely powerful. I don't know. Renee might be one of my exceptions to my like mean girls only. (laughs) I would share a milkshake and have like the two straws with Renee. I don't know. The great thing about Renee is that I know this is purely because we see her as this like commentary backstage interviewer. She does all this stuff. She feels like she would fit into your life where you would do some shit and she'd be like, wow, that was an amazing thing you did. Can you talk a little bit about whatever? Like, She feels like she would amplify your energy 
it's different from just being nice. It's like, yes, yeah. Who doesn't want like the cute braid girlfriend who's like, wow, you really blah, blah, blah. It just like magnifies your own vibe. Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. All right. Backstage, the villains want to bother daddy while he's working. His work involves reading what appears to be a reference text of some kind. <laughs> he does have a computer next to him. Let's make that clear. But I get big, low-key, afraid of opening PDFs vibes from William Regal. Oh, oh, ho- I, hold on, hold on. You don't okay, have to okay. be afraid of opening a PDF to prefer a physical book. I just let me stand up for like <laughs> the old men here. Sometimes you just want to like open a book on your desk and read it. What's wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that. I think. Okay, no, I take something is wrong with that. It is that a desk is a horrible place to read a book. I'm objecting to this on ergonomic grounds. He has to be at his desk. He's at work. Like in a perfect world, he's lying on the couch. Oh, you can't lay on the floor of your office. What would the villains think? Well, also, like, the carpeting is always so thin at work. It's terrible. Yeah. No, I mean, but he's the whatever. He's the general manager. He can, like, he could get a couch in there. Like, have some sort of sexy, like, wrestling casting couch. But also, it's just his, like, reading reference text couch. I would and have read a physical book on a desk at work. Just so you know. I mean, yeah, we all have. (laughs) I'm just saying, like... It's fine that he's doing that. It's it, Look, you're right. Let people read books. At work. I'm an old man. You're an old man. Let's just agree that we're all old men. <laughs> okay. The film goes to black and white as the villains hold up a tiny tablet to show Regal the ending of the tag match. We're not allowed to see it. Only William Regal could see it. <laughs> Maybe because that's not a tablet. It's actually a first generation Kindle on its side. But look. The point is that English was the legal man, but Gotch was the one who got pinned. Okay. How does something like this happen? Does it happen a lot? Did they do this on purpose? Am I being worked? The legal man thing, I think, often does happen as a shoot, just like it's hard to keep track of who's the legal man. I often think about this when I watch tag matches. It's hard enough for me, the viewer, to keep track of this. Imagine a person who's at work from a perspective where, like, none of this is real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, my job only minimally involves keeping track of who is the quote-unquote legal man in this quote-unquote wrestling match. Yeah. There's a lot going on, and there's no reason, like, in real life for me to keep track of who last tagged whom. So, yeah, it happens sometimes. Usually, it is not acknowledged in this case, maybe it kind of gave them something to work with. It feels like maybe the angle between the Vaude villains and the Lucha Dragons is a little thin. So maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is kind of like a shoot becomes a work because like, you know, creative didn't really have anything for these teams. And so <laughs> it's kind of a blessing in disguise that we fucked this up. Do you think that maybe it was like a letters to the editor and they were like, all right, fine, we'll do this. Oh, fans for sure notice. Dear WWE, I happen to notice in the most recent pay-per-view that <laughs> gotta be a no prize for this shit. Come on. God bless you for imagining that people write anything like that anymore in the world of wrestling fandom. I bet you what it was is a million incoherent tweets that were like, LOL, you are suck. And it's like, oh, wh- <laughs> what do we do? Oh, yeah, like that fucking who's the legal man? OK, OK, fine. That's amazing to me, then, if it's because you're right, that would be incredibly hard. God knows I have never looked at a match and gone like, I'm definitely keeping track of that shit. 
Mm-hmm. The king of trios is not constantly on <laughs> fire, given that it's just like, and it's lucha rules. It's just like you roll the fuck out of the ring. And it's just like, I don't know. Could be more than one person in the ring. And you're like, Ugh. the lucha rules make it so much easier. Oh, do okay. Because if there's one person in the ring, they're the legal man. If there are multiple people in the ring, it is arguable who is the legal man. There's no definite uh-huh. right answer. Simple as that. Oh, that's fun. Then suddenly it's a humanities course. That's right. Exactly. Humanities. Ah, what can we make a case for? What do we think our thesis statement on who the legal man in the ring is? Ah, I'm going to write my term paper on Ophidian. The beauty of the humanities. It's like, let's get beyond the question of who's right. Who knows more words? That's what I'm interested in. (laughs) That's why I like teaching the business of professional communication, because I'm like, no, (laughs) there are right answers, and the right answers are like three words long. Everything else is making people feel good so they don't hate you. Everything else is bad. (laughs) That's all you have to do. That's all human communication is, children. That's it. So anyway, daddy acknowledges grave miscarriage of justice. How dare they, you know, say that this guy got pinned and they lost. All right. He's going to get them a rematch soon. The valid villains are like, great, this is exactly what we wanted. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Do the maniacal laugh. Regal joins them in the maniacal laugh, does the head throwing back. And until they're out of earshot and then goes back to his book about probably post-World War One textile manufacturing in every province in China, I assume. And if you're wondering, what does he mumble under his breath? He calls them silly bleeders, which is not British slang that I've heard a lot of, but he is from Blackpool, which is its own thing. In the ring. In the ongoing feud between Bull Dempsey and Baron Corbin, Bull Dempsey beats up a jobber. And then Baron Corbin beats up a jobber. Gasp. (gasps) I feel like this is heating up, but very clearly in a sex way. In a very boring sex way. Let's be very clear. This is turning into women in love. Where the two dudes like wrestle naked by the fire to prove that they both definitely want to fuck the same woman, but not each other. That's a unrelated. Did I read women in love? One, how dare you ask? Two, no, but it was assigned to the modern literature course, which I got an A in. So it's almost like I read it. (laughs) And if you are one of the English majors, or indeed took any English course and you read all the books and you're mad at me, don't be mad at me. I'm not the one who made you read all those books. You did that. You chose that. Look, if you want to fight me, I read War and Peace on my own time. So please know that I am exceptionally dangerous. Chris, what book did you not read for your degree, but it's almost like you read it? Let me tell you about Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. I didn't read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. It was assigned an eco-criticism course that I took. I assume Ishmael is like on the side of the whale. Yeah? Ishmael is a gorilla. Oh, fair enough. Okay, this is a very different direction then. It's a gorilla who can talk. Oh, mm, okay. And has invited our prospective character to come have an interview with them so they can explain the course that humanity has taken is ecologically unsustainable. And this gorilla is like, I knew if I wrote you and said, I'm a talking gorilla, please talk to me. You wouldn't have come. So I like tricked you here. And so now we're going to like, I'm going to explain everything to you. And there's this whole thing about like an ideal society in which like things are exchanged, like we don't need money. We don't, we can just like, like you do something of value. I do something of value. As a person who did eco crit, I don't like this. 
Anyway, I don't know because I didn't read the book. What I did do in that course is make a very good friend who, as usually happens with my very good friends, I decided that I would very much like to fuck. And so I was like, listen, let's like let's ditch this class and let's go do something more fun than reading about somebody talking to a gorilla. And uh, yeah. Did it work out? I mean, they took a trip to Europe and I ended up never seeing them again. But okay. we had lots of good times before that. Oh, all right. I'm glad. Not good times like I fucked them. Good times like good times. <laughs> Just to be clear. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, one can't have everything. She was great. I loved her a lot. Did you get any in the class? I'd never checked. I don't know. Oh, 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 no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. Yes. I meant because you brought up like a very emotionally charged subject with like, what book didn't you read? Uh-huh. I missed something we're going to have to put back because Paul Dempsey has his match. Yes. With a jobber who gets no entrance. Yes. He then walks away up the ramp. Uh-huh. And encounters Baron Corbin. Yes. Coming down for his match. Uh-huh. Against a jobber who gets no entrance. Yes. Where did the second jobber come from? <laughs> Probably under the ring, you know? Where, wh- what are we to believe in the fiction of the... Like, where did these jobbers come from? They spawn. It's like a video game. To me, honestly, truly... Did you not watch Reboot? Like, the thing comes down. I never liked Reboot. You didn't? Oh, my God. No, so Reboot was one of those things that comes on. It's like, okay, Saturday morning is fucking over. Like, get on with your oh, life. Oh, Reboot was my favorite. <laughs> I'm still obsessed with Reboot. I fucking, Reboot holds the fuck up. Nerd. Okay. <laughs> wow. The guy with the fucking podcast about every single page of an RPG. The, you, the glassest of houses, my friend. The glassest <laughs> of houses. The second jobber has to have uh-huh. already been available for this. Here's what I'm suggesting, and I think you'll get on okay. board with this. Somebody in production is trying to set up Bull Dempsey and Baron Corbin because oh. there's no other explanation. Obviously, Jobber comes out before Baron Corbin, right? That's the only uh-huh. way this match works. If he came down the ramp, this never happens because Bull Dempsey would have met a Jobber on the way to the ring and either done nothing, sat on him and killed him. Yeah. but And then Bull Dempsey and uh, Baron Corbin never have this like tense interaction someone in production is like okay line up two jobbers we have to have them both at ringside bull dempsey match then a baron corbin match then while bull dempsey is still going up the ramp pretend you never learned anything in fucking wrestling production school start baron corbin's music so baron corbin comes out and they will meet on the ramp do you think then that this is like a bet backstage and they're like, oh, that's the romance novel that's happening in the background is that they're like, no, no, they're definitely going to get together and we're all in on it? Yes. Someone has made a bet to someone that I'm going to make Baron Corbin fuck Bold MC before X. Do you think the jobbers are also in on it and are like cooperating? They are doing exactly what they're instructed to do. They're not in okay. on it. Now, they maybe are like perspective characters who have no like particular dog in this fight. But one way or another, no, like they're not behind this. Production is behind this. There's somebody in the truck who's like these two. Yeah, I can make it happen. Ryzen was one of them. And I love Ryzen a lot. He was on AEW, especially Dark a lot in the peak pandemic. And I have a lot of love for him. Tag team action. Enzo and Cass with Carmella come out to the ring and Enzo and Cass sing their own extremely dumb frankly, very difficult to parse version of 12 Days of Christmas before fighting the Ascension. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm not going to deny you this either. 
It is seven fists of swinging, six a leave them laying, five gold rings because you gotta, four letter words, three in a bends. There's a car involved in this now. I guess it's the three of them. Unclear. Two, and then he does like a very thick Jersey accent. Fugazi? Fugazi? And I was like, Fugazi, the band? But no, apparently not just the name of highly influential post-hardcore band. Also means a person or thing that is fake, a fraud. The more you know. (laughs) And a beating from the certified G's. There you go. So the Ascension screedly guitar hits, much to our collective relief. There's a moment when Connor walks past someone in the crowd wearing a Santa hat. Because, I mean, that's what time of year it is. And my brain glitched for a second. I don't know what the glitch was. I think my brain rejected the (laughs) idea that the Ascension could exist in the same world as the concept of Santa Claus. And I was like, no, I don't. That's not anything. The match starts and the crowd is hot for Enzo and Cass. Cass beats down Victor, which makes sense. Like, Victor is the lithe and wiry vamp boy. The vampire that has a lot less creatine in his diet. (laughs) Which may be why Enzo tags himself in once Victor is down. And then, so now Enzo's in the ring, rushes over to Connor in the corner, hoping to knock him off the apron. You know, the typical spot. Rush him, knock him off. It was like watching a Pomeranian attack a Clydesdale. The supreme indifference, (laughs) the placid lack of concern, the lackadaisical swish of a tail and the, huh? Beautiful. Then the camera cuts to Carmela, who's kind of like working the crowd, flirting with them, pan out. Enzo is watching her like, wait, who's she talking to? Why isn't she watching me? Is she at least talking about me? And then he turns around only to get clotheslined by Victor And pinned for three. Let me tell you, watching Victor murder Enzo added years to my life. My skin feels more hydrated just having seen this match. The Ascension get on the mic to say that, actually, I don't really give like even a single fuck about anyone who isn't Finn Balor and Hideo Tommy. So those two better watch out. Because sometimes you just have a hankering for twunk blood. (laughs) So I guess we're going to have them fighting again soon. Main event. <sighs> Two different types of hot dude fight. How many types of hot dude are there? Well, our instruments for measuring this are imprecise. But look, if you want to know more about types of hot people, it's not like you don't know where to download hard choices. The bell goes. Kevin Owens keeps rolling out of the ring to stay away from Neville. You fool. You could be touching. Even now, you could be touching Adrian Neville and you flee. And then when Neville gets a head scissors and a string of kicks to take down Owens... Owens once again heads outside to loiter menacingly. He does a lot of that. It is sexier than it sounds. It's like if a wolf had a leather jacket. Back from commercial, Owens is trying to make clear the scope of Neville's mistake in coming for him. He calls Adrian Neville a joke and kicks him in the ribs. He calls like his whole title run a joke, which I was like, you don't say that to somebody, certainly not at work. That's rude. (laughs) Follows it up with a bunch of knees or hip checks or something to the ribs anyway. Neville gets up in the corner and does a dropkick that downs Owens. This seems promising. Maybe he can do it. And then Owens catches him from a springboard and just breaks him, gut first across his knee, like a sad Kit Kat, before following it up with a senton to really smash him extra good. Shortly after that, Neville shows off his most terrifying skill of all. Not the red arrow, no. 
The ugly fall from the ropes for no good goddamn reason. Owens puts him up on the ropes. Neville acts like, oh, I'm going to get up there and go for something. But Owens spoils it. Neville just tumbles to the mat like a toddler who is only just learning that curbs are untrustworthy motherfuckers. Never turn your back on a curb. I do not like seeing Neville do this. I hate seeing Neville do this, but it's extremely impressive that he can do it. But I, every time I'm like, is he dead for real, though? Because he falls like you would fall from such a thing. Uncomfortable. Thankfully, Neville finds his Sonic coins or whatever fucking power-up is appropriate to the video game he comes from. Chris, what video game does he come from? Yeah, I wasn't prepared for this question, but let me just, from my gut, Uniracers. There we go. Done. Uniracers. What's the power-up in Uniracers? There is no power-up in Uniracers. Ah, well, this is all falling apart. (laughs) Moving on. He does a big, twisty leap over the top rope to down Owens on the ramp, and of course Neville lands on his feet. Neville tries to lever Owens into the ring, but gets flung headfirst into the corner post. The bell goes, a double count out. Not sure if that's really what's supposed to happen. That I was like, wait, why is this what's happening? How come it's... Uh, maybe I don't understand why it's a double count out, but whatever. Well, fuck that, says Kevin Owens. He powerbombs Neville on the corner of the apron and screams, who's fighting now? That's what closed captioning thinks he says. Doesn't really fucking matter what he says. He's sweaty. He's just injured a man. He's clearly deranged. 13 out of 10 would fuck. Chris, important question about this whole fucking match. We have talked a little bit about Eddie Kingston whenever we're talking about AEW. Uh-huh. And Kevin Owens is kind of wrestling, I don't know, for my money, a similar style in terms of pace and keeping the match grounded. Why is it so fucking compelling when they do it? Why is it so easy to do it badly? I can't look away from this match, but usually if I see ground and pound stuff, I'm like, well, I'm going to go, I don't know, empty the dishwasher or literally anything else. (laughs) I'll tell you, I watched then Kevin Steen's like vlog of his time on the indies. There was a moment when he was watching a ladder match from like backstage and he was talking to someone else and the person was saying like they're not even using the ladder. And Steen gave him this like tone like you ignoramus and it's like, like they're teasing us. <laughs> Kevin Steen understands that. And that's why Kevin Owens can do this style. And it's compelling because he understands this is not like move and counter move. This is not like world of sport shit. This is not, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. Like we're watching, you know, oh, the counter to this hold is this hold. And so they go to this. But then he has the counter to this move. It's not that. But yet it is that somehow because it is storytelling. Something is happening here and every move and every absence of a movie, every moment when it could be a hope spot, but it isn't quite, is moving forward the story, as opposed to a hack doing this, which is just like, I don't really have any ideas to fill the next five minutes, so I'm going to throw some elbows. That's what Owens does, and it's what Kingston does. And the fact that they understand how to continue to tell a story, how to play the crowd emotionally, like I've used this analogy before talking about like how you observe this as a fan, that it's similar to stand up. Wrestling is also similar to stand up in that I've seen stand up comedy referred to as like a musician whose instrument is the audience. That's what a wrestler like Kevin Owens is doing. Yeah, the end. Thank you, Bob, for doing the breakdown, which I know sucks (laughs) see this is what's really important now is that i needed you to suffer and go through a prolonged training montage so that that way for the remainder of this show you have a framework of 
what it takes whenever I write the breakdown and that you can properly appreciate it and go, you know what? Bob does this so that we can enjoy this and I didn't have to do it. Yeah. Here you go. It's, it's very flattering that you think that I'm, uh, I guess, above revenge. So how did you feel about this episode? You know what? I liked it. I mean, I'm just excited to have Kevin Owens around. There are 306 Sammy Kevin fix on AO3. Some of them I can't read yet because of timing, plot details, whatever, whatever. I did read one called Like Maybe I Would, which features drunken blowjobs. It's 1.3 thousand words, tiny delicious treat, hit precisely right, Ah, chef kiss. Highly recommend. Also, so important, the tags. I realize this is not speaking to anything about the episode we watched. I don't really care. Hold on. The tags. Some of the tags in the Sammy Kevin ship are unhealthy relationships, <laughs> unhealthy coping mechanisms, mm. and possessive behavior. Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. The thrill, the excitement. This is delicious. No, I have a wonderland ahead of me. <laughs> I am over the fucking moon. I have arrived at the beginning of, I would be much richer off if I was, you know, into S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, because obviously there's a ton of S.H.I.E.L.D. fucking fanfic, but I know that what I'm going to get with the Sammy Kevin stuff is going to be a million times better. From my limited experience, I feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. shit is for people who write fanfics about like, we still fuck even though we have a baby. Fuck that. <laughs> like, this is for like nice relationships. Sammy Kevin is like the most dysfunctional. I know this is exactly what you crave. I think you're going to be very happy. Oh, yeah. No, I'm it's going to be amazing. Even the one that I read. No, I'll link you later. It's choice. <laughs> so was it a good episode? Yes. Also, love getting to see Neville come out and sort of throw his weight around a little bit, but also throw his weight around in a way that was like, I'm not really in charge, but I'm a little bit in charge and I have some high ground, but also I've done some shady shit. I don't know. It was nice. Oh, totally. Like Oedipus, but not an Oedipus Rex, but like Oedipus at Kelowna for sure. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> the- <laughs> wow. Okay. Now, listeners, I want you to remember that. But earlier in this podcast, Chris Newton called me a nerd. It's time now to discuss the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. What did your elf eyes see? The stitches on Kevin Owens' nose. Huge sucker for facial scars. Stitches, blood, black eyes. On people who fight for a living. Not on fucking civilians. But he treats the stitches like he's barely aware of them. Like he's just like, what? I have stitches on my face? What What are you talking about? The only time you see him really react to it is whenever it's been jarred a little bit and he just kind of touches his nose to go like, eh, it's, it's kind of like itchy and weird, mm. but that's it. The rest of the time he's just like, eh, yeah, I'm injured. What about it? Oh, so fucking good. All right. What about you? What'd your elf I see? Keeping in mind that I have missed the entire podcast so far, barring like one episode of regular NXT episodes, I'm going to indulge and take two because there's a simple one that I have to take, but there's not much to say about it. So. All right. The main thing is, Becky Lynch, 
Uh-huh. I watched all these episodes when they came out. So like we're now in the prime period of NXT where I was watching weekly and enjoying these episodes. Becky Lynch has come a long goddamn way, like much, much farther, I would say, than the other like the four horsewomen, right? Like very noticeable in this episode. I mean, you know, it's noticeable because I noticed it. Her makeup. Yeah. The red, red cheeks, like the very intense, like there's something charming about it to me that she's still learning that stuff at this stage. I remember watching Training Ground, which maybe is something we'll talk about when it comes around. But like the quote unquote reality show that they did about Mm. the NXT wrestlers. But they talked about like the women going to like makeup class as part of their performance center. Yeah. Like learning all that stuff. And it's very interesting to me that Becky Lynch at this stage is still like. Like, how red do you want these cheeks? At the same time that she's like learning to wrestle and figuring out her character. So it's just it's fun to see her at this stage because she is so put together now. She is so like on top of everything she does at this stage in the present. I don't know. There was a period of time where she was a little too put together, but hopefully she's back to like, I don't know what she's (laughs) up to right now. But there was a moment where it was like, no, I don't like this. There was a part of me that was like, oh, if I could have like these arms and these abs, but this face, like if I could Frankenstein together across time, (laughs) the various versions of Becky Lynch. Anyway, that's the thing I have something of some substance to say about. But truly the thing that I saw that stuck with me and I don't know why is the fact that when the the show first opens, there's someone in the crowd who has a sign that says, I want graves. And it struck me that like, out of context, what a weird fucking sign. <laughs> I want to bring that sign to every wrestling show. Just like, I want graves. Oh, ooh. You know what? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to be going to see AEW in El Paso on the 8th of February. I'm probably not going to bring a sign just because it's a, one more goddamn thing to carry. But I did have many thoughts about like, what kind of person am I? What would I have on a sign? And I definitely think I'm of the camp that's like a weird sign. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm probably the, this is a sign that is earnest. But I also don't think I'm the, here's a brilliant pun that everybody's going to be like all over on the you know wrestling Twitter. I don't think it's that. It's probably going to be like, I just came here to have a good time. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear in this episode? I mean, you already said it. There was some fun things I said about Enzo. That was great. Lots of rat on Ritalin, whatever. Kevin Owens, as he is marching towards Adrian Neville to kick his ass, was like, nothing I do makes me shameful. Because it wasn't like he was screaming it at him. He wasn't like, nothing I do makes me shameful. It was like, nothing I do makes me shameful. And I was like, is that a fucking, like, mantra? Is this what you have written above your bathroom mirror, Kevin Owens? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Because he said it. With such, it is such a Brene Brown thing as well. There's a Brene Brown TED Talk. Not just you, Chris, but just anybody out there. If you want to feel stabbed in the heart, it's on like vulnerability and courage. It's very painful. <laughs> I don't recommend it unless you are drunk or stoned and in a safe place and can watch cartoons afterwards. <laughs> that Brene Brown, she'll come for you. But yeah, I... You know, Kevin Owens, like, saying that was like, what a fucking insane thing to say. But to say it in that tone, it was like, maybe he's right. Like, 
he's saying it with such conviction. Maybe, 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 maybe nothing Kevin Owens does is shameful, and we're the monsters. And then I was like, no, Kevin Owens done some shady. I'm being won over by how hot he is, not <laughs> his like brilliant argumentative skills. All right, Chris, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I had lots of options for this too, but I think like overwhelmingly, it is the uncertainty of the crowd about how to react to Neville. That to me mm. was like, usually that kind of uncertainty is an indication that a performer has not done their job. But I think it's just the opposite in the case of Neville. I think the fact that he comes out after all that's happened and gets this reaction proves that he's done exactly what he was supposed to do, which is like he comes out and starts saying things that seem like babyface things. But he's also been playing a babyface character as a heel for a long time at this point. And yeah. we don't know whether it's safe to buy into what he's saying. He stood us up on so many dates. Can we trust him? Exactly, exactly. That and the way that it plays into the Kevin Owens storyline is so powerful to me. I think that the fact that even the NXT crowd, which is so, so ready to like chant for any goddamn thing, is like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Like, I don't know about Neville at this point. What are we supposed to think about this? That was very powerful. To me. Megan, Bob, what did your human heart feel? Thank you, Neville. Oh, my God. That's the first time that I've heard that chant for somebody who lost a championship. I mean, I've heard it for people who were like leaving a company. Mm -hmm. That's always very beautiful. Like I remember, you know, Brody Lee's last match before he left Chikara. That shit's always very powerful, but it was the first time I'd ever heard it for somebody who was like, oh, he's not going anywhere. He's not like, you know, he's not ready to like go up to the main roster or anything necessarily, but he's just done with this championship now. And for the audience to appreciate that, especially whenever he'd, you know, been doing kind of heel shit for a bit, that they were still very appreciative. And it was such a smarky thing, but such like a genuine loving smarky thing to go you were mean to our favorite boy but you did it in a way that we love and we care about you and we are glad that you're part of what we're watching and we appreciate the time that you spent and it's like saying wrestling's so goddamn weird because it's like it's fucking written in that fucking sand and the tide's gonna come and wipe it all away unless you do something insane with your title run and most of the time you don't you know your title run is just your fucking title run and so to have the audience real time say, no, it did mean something to us. You're not going to be forgotten, at least not by us. It's like, uh, that's, that's lovely. Like to get your flowers, you know, while you're alive. That's lovely. So no, that meant a lot to me. I feel exactly what you're talking about. And this is an interesting time to come into NXT because I think this last takeover cemented NXT as truly its own thing. I think as distinct from developmental. Part of that is... The smarkiness and the earnest affection of the full sale crowd. The fact that these performers get to perform in front of the same crowd every time, you're going to see the full sale crowd kind of develop into its own thing, its own aspect of the show. And they have their own individual relationship with these performers. And part of that is that they are watching their careers. And they know, they're, they're very acutely aware of what things mean in the show. So, for example, you said, like, here's a guy who, like, his championship run ended. It's not like he's going anywhere. They know that's not the case. They know what it means when you lose the NXT championship, which is that you are being freed up to go to the main roster if necessary. 
And so this crowd, I think, has a level of sophistication that we don't see every week on Raw, where they come to know these people. They watch them every show. They really develop a relationship with these performers. And they're aware of what's going on, that like when you lose a championship, it might mean that you're moving up. We are ready for the day when even if you've never lost a match before, it's part of NXT that you're going to lose a match on the way out because that's pro wrestling tradition. You're going to put over somebody else when you leave NXT. That doesn't have to be sad. It's just that's the way it is. Well, it's sad because you're leaving. Yeah, exactly. It's sad because you lost. It's bittersweet. You're going to go make a better paycheck on a much worse show, (laughs) which is what the the Full Sail crowd and the NXT viewership is going to get used to. When we say goodbye to somebody, sometimes it's like, you know what? Best of luck to you. I virtually know that the rest of your career is going to be anonymous and horrible, but you're going to make your money. Weirdly, success in the wrestling industry means you finally made it. You get to sit in catering and do nothing and get paid much better for it. I mean, spend a lot less time recovering from injury. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're Justin Gabriel. Yeah. Well, look, that's recreational. That's Truly. That's a lifestyle choice on his part. Justin Gabriel skipped work to go skydiving and get injured. Like, that is who he is. Justin Gabriel, such a, like, definitely a dude you fuck don't marry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, don't even get a rent with that guy. Like, don't even sign a rental agreement. This is a no. What a bad idea. He came up with the wrestling gimmick of the dare wolf. Oh, and that's I remember him on Lucha Underground. Yeah. Although he was not the one doing the most insane shit on Lucha Underground. <laughs> My interpretation of the dare wolf gimmick is like he's the weirdo that somebody points to just like, I dare you to fuck that guy. And you're like, OK, I'll do it. Uh Chris, what did your human heart feel? The performance of Kevin Owens in this episode was fantastic. So important to like forming the character. Obviously he had a big moment with Sammy, but he needed to cement it in this episode. And to me, the moment when that happens, I also thought like nothing I do makes me shameful. That is such a beautiful, like a borderline inarticulate moment. Like shameful is not exactly the word he's looking for there. But that's fine because it's the character reacting to an accusation that has hit him. The ending of the match, the fact that it's a double countout, the scream that he does, the way he shouts when he's going up the ramp, the way that I interpret that is here's a guy who is driven by insecurity, but he's telling himself a story about it. He's a prize fighter. He's here to win wrestling matches. He's not going to let anybody stand in his way including his good friend who made it before he did, because I guess people think that Sami Zayn is better than Kevin Owens. And I guess people think that Sami Zayn deserves this and Kevin Owens doesn't. And I guess people think he is the best because he's been here and Kevin Owens has not because he's been overlooked. All that is playing into this character. And like the way he crows about like Sami Zayn's not here tonight because I am disproves something. The fact that he comes out and then his friend, Adrian Neville, like implicitly, like I think we're meant to read, like this is a guy I know from the indies and I'm telling you, wrestling is wrestling, but you've gone too far with this. This is not okay. I'm ashamed of you. And Kevin Owens is saying, nothing I do here to be successful, to be a prize fighter is shameful. This is my job. This is what I do. And then he fucking loses his first match, his first real match. You get like CJ Parker is one thing, but like you called me out and I said, I'll fight anybody. And I fucking lost this match. The fact that he lets that get to him as a monster heel, as like this unbeatable, like brutal, like I'm going to wreck you. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to injure you, not just beat you. 
he's that guy. And it's so easy to play that as a flat character. But instead, this gets to him. It's like, no, I just took a loss. And it makes him so angry. I think that is very important to the crowd. It's not even that he wouldn't get over. It's that he would start to become a face, which you can see him like on a meta level fighting against. It's like, I don't want to cut a promo. I don't want to put on a good match. I don't want to give you a reason to cheer for me because that's clearly what you want to do. I want to come in as a presumptive face, come after the biggest face in the company, if not in wrestling, Sami Zayn of this era, fuck him over, and then like deny you. Roll out of the ring when this guy's trying to fight me. Like Adrian Neville starts to get his amazing, impressive offense, and I roll out of the ring and don't let him do it. Fuck this guy. I'm here to win matches. I'm not here to entertain anybody. Then they both lose, and he's just furious. It's like that anger, the fact that this man can be gotten to, that makes him viable as a heel. That's what does it for me. He may be the most fuckable character in all of wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of power there. I remember seeing him go up against Eddie Kingston and Chikara. Oh, man, he did very like he's not allowed in Chikara very much. I know. (laughs) I know he got in trouble. I remember his promo against like because it was a cybernetico. And so for those of you who don't follow Chikara, this is like a very Mike Quackenbush match where it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Listen, listen. So there's like a hundred people. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a very specific order. Like there's a batting order. And then we go around and then when everyone from one team is defeated, then the remaining team splits. It's it's like me trying to explain a board game to someone. I'm like, no, I swear it's going to be fun. Look, do yourself a favor. Fucking watch it. It is bananas. It is like somebody just was like, all right, we've got some of the Monopoly pieces. We've got some of the sorry pieces. <laughs> we've got some of the bits from Mousetrap. Put them in a box, shaking it up, throw it out there and go. Oh, no. Tremendous. Tremendous. It is so... If you're like, eh, eh, I don't know if I'm into wrestling. If you are into bat shit, you will absolutely be into that. It is mwah, so good. Yeah. And it lets you keep Kevin Owens away from Eddie Kingston in the Cybernetico, where it's like, here are two like real hard, like we'll fuck you up, motherfuckers. And then Kevin Steen at the time cuts this promo is like, oh, Eddie Kingston, like big tough guy. Like you're so dominant in the land of like primary colored ants like i'm so afraid of you and your fucking cartoon character friends yeah yeah fire ant fucking kick your ass kevin (laughs) steen so that's like that energy it's very powerful kingston has it for sure owens has it for sure like i'll leave it to you as the expert to define who is most fuckable in the world of wrestling but there's a real similar vibe between the two of them All right, we're almost done with this episode of NXT, but before we move on, it is time to award our Lawrence Bolivier Award for Commitment to the Bit. Bob, who gets your Lawrence Bolivier Award this episode? My Lawrence Bolivier Award is going to Becky Lynch just because of like how far she's come in such a short period of time and the intensity that she had in that backstage promo. She was on the edge of a boil the whole time. We had not gotten to see that from her previously. This was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. Like to get to see that <laughs> continue. Whereas like we'd already seen Kevin Owens be delicious and amazing, which I could have easily given it to Kevin Owens and Adrian Neville as well. But 
No, Becky showed me something she hadn't shown me before, so I had to give it to her. All right, Chris, who gets your Lawrence Bolivia Award? For me, it is Kevin Owens. I'm not prepared to give it to Becky Lynch yet. I agree that this is a like a gear shift up, but it's such an incremental one for her compared to where she's going to be ultimately. To me, she's still finding it. It's fine. You don't have a genetic like weakness for Northside Dublin accents, so it's okay. Maybe not to the extent that you do. Never accuse me of not being hot for Becky Lynch, but like we can fight about this later. (laughs) But Kevin Owens, I think, you know, just what I was just saying, I think keeping in mind where he is, like, let's go to the meta level here. This is a performer who spent a long time in the Indies, who, from what I understand, like listening to interviews with him, kind of took a pay cut to come to WWE from like the level he was at on the Indies. His road to exposure was long. Now he's finally here. He's going to be dominant in NXT, but who knows what that means for the main roster? Who knows if this means he's going to get sent out there? Who knows if he's going to be the next Bam Bam Bigelow or something like that? Who's going to be like, "Mm," like not really main event, but just like he's our guy, like he's our big guy. For him to come in and have the commitment to his character and his performance to show vulnerability on his first real appearance as the character he's going to be playing is such commitment artistically and personally to making this real and making this work. It really is admirable. I think there are lesser performers who would feel like, let me just make sure that I'm fully put over first before I show any vulnerability. Let me make sure everybody knows that I'm strong. No, that's a really good point. And it's making me think that the only two people who have done that very early on in their appearances were Sammy and Kevin. Everybody else took a really long time to sort of show any vulnerability in their character. But those are the two that I think Sammy, maybe not his first appearance, but second, third, a real willingness to go like, I'm not afraid to do something that the crowd, I I can't 100% know how the crowd is going to feel about this. And I'm not necessarily going to look cool. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Exactly. That's the difference between someone who wants to be tough and like wants to put that out there versus somebody who really gets it is that like the crowd wants to see that there's a crack in the armor somewhere. This is something that Baron Corbin is struggling with. I know this because I heard him talk about it, that like coming from professional sports, his training was you would not show like if it hurts, don't let anybody see it. Yeah, no, because they'll fucking attack it and you'll get hurt. Exactly, yeah. And so it was very difficult for him to make the transition to like, no, you have to show people that you're hurting. Like, even though you're playing a tough guy, you have to sell. I think the fact that Kevin Owens gets that is the commitment to the bit here is like essential to getting the Kevin Owens character over. So so I think that's it. That's one more episode of NXT and one more step in the saga of Sami Zayn, albeit in his absence that's behind us. Now is time to see if Bob can predict the next big thing. Oh my God, I'm very excited. You explained how this was going to work and I kind of remember. Mm-hmm. I know you and so I knew that you were like at best 60% listening. So I'm all ready to go. Yeah, I was probably half reading a fanfic. Who knows? Yeah, totally. So here's how this works. We're switching away from the cheap pop quiz because that requires me to really have like a mastery of the next episode and really get into the minutiae. And it's also much more swingy in terms of scoring, like how many bonus episodes are we going to have to do? It depends on how on the ball Bob is. I like to lock these things down. So what we're doing instead is the next big thing. Bob is going to get at any given time four things that are going to happen in the future of NXT. And Bob's challenge is to guess which one of them is going to happen next episode. 
every episode, Bob makes the guess. Every episode, we find out what happened this episode. That thing is then checked off the list, and Bob gets a replacement for whatever happened this episode. So one of the events will happen, and then we'll be replaced by a new thing that could be coming anytime in the next, like, 11 episodes or whatever. However, beware. Three times over the remainder of the podcast, I'm going to give you a thing that is not going to happen. There will be three dummies that are things that will not happen in NXT. Every other thing that I put on the list will eventually happen. It's just a question of whether it happens next episode. Every time that Bob accumulates five points, one point for every correct guess, then they will get a bonus episode about a romance novel. However, Uh because you and I are equals, if you get five guesses wrong in a row, Uh then I will get a bonus episode. With that at stake, I'm going to give you now, because we're just beginning this, your four initial big things. Okay. Number one, a championship match is so one-sided that it ends and the championship changes hands on a referee stoppage. Number two, one wrestler wants to end another wrestler's dominant win streak for, quote, the greater good (laughs) and gives a pep talk to that effect to the only logical choice to do the job, CJ Parker. Ooh, ah. <laughs> Number three, Marcus Louis returns, lurking like the Phantom <gasps> of the Opera and apparently driven mad by losing his hair match. Number four, Baron Corbin finally gets pinned, but don't worry, there's interference, so he's still a big bad lone wolf. You know what? I feel like Marcus Louis has been away for a little bit. Let's get that back. There's not enough dumb shit. Bring in <laughs> the dumb shit. Okay, so your guess is... The next big thing is Marcus Louis returns lurking like the Phantom of Opera in full sail. How could that not be what happens? All right. Well, we'll find out next episode. That's it for this week. Normally, there would be a fast forward sound effect. And then you'd hear a lot of stuff about like what's happening in the wrestling fed. Let's do plugs. Let's do blah, blah, blah. That's all going to change. Under Miles' regime, that's the way we did things. Under Chris Newton's fucking regime? This sounds like we've just toppled the statue of Miles Schneiderman, and now I'm standing on it, like, raising the new flag. It's not like that. It's just, like, logistical shit. Instead of doing an update within the episode for all that stuff, we're going to do a bonus episode, short, free for anyone, but hosted on Patreon. So you can go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash fan. There you're going to find a weekend episode that's going to cover all of the kind of wrestling fed stuff, updates, plugs, and it's going to have some kind of like recommended viewing. If you are interested in things that happened in this episode's NXT, here's some other wrestling that you might watch. If there was a cage match this week, maybe we'll talk about a great cage match from the present or from the past. You can go check out on Peacock or whatever the fuck. This week, you won't get one. Oh, no, they call it the cock now, do you see? You're making that up. No, Pat McAfee said it, and now everybody says it. But I mean, they say it jokingly, but Pat McAfee said it in the midst of a pay-per-view and like just was like, oh, the cock? And everybody was like, <laughs> oh, buddy, are you going to commit to that? And he was like backed away from that very quickly, but it was too late. All of Twitter was like, oh, no, that's what it's called now. <laughs> I bet NBC is so fucking regretful and ashamed that they ever associated with WWE. They fucking should be, but who knows? (laughs) Anyway, most weeks, that's what you're going to get. Not this week, because this first week out, we're still getting shit together with the Fed and all that stuff. But starting next episode, you're going to listen to the main NXT episode on your feed. Then you're going to swing on over to Patreon on the weekend, and you're going to hear 
us talking about a related topic to the episode of NXT you just heard about. Plus, you're going to hear Wrestling Fed updates, plugs, updates about the podcast, etc. That's the way it will work from now on. Which means here in this closing segment, we have nothing to say. But in my case, it's great to be here. I love this show. I love you, Bob. Aww. This is great. This is so much fun. Aww. I love having you here. It's amazing. This is the best. Although I will say, Miles, I do miss you. Yes. I said things about Miles on episodes not knowing that he was leaving the show that were like very mild ribs. And I just want to say for the record, Miles is the fucking best hosting this podcast with you. The role he had in the show, so crucial, I think, as evidenced by your efforts to do it on the episodes, <laughs> the AAW episodes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way Chris Newton knows how to give a compliment. This what you are witnessing now is like whenever you look up chris newton in the encyclopedia and it's like natural habitat favorite foods things like that it will also say like can only give a compliment by like slapping somebody else on the way to it so like yes of course miles amazing host in comparison to megan bob okay well look you know what (laughs) i'm gonna let you get to me because it's important for my character okay okay all right i am an artist and i have integrity so therefore you win this one. Mm-hmm. That's what it says on your Patreon. Grapple fans, please tune in next time on your podcatcher. You know how you tune your podcatcher to NXT Wrestling Fan, where we're going to be talking about, honestly, not as good an episode, but I think an equally fun one to talk about. We will see you then. Yeah! The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We are on Twitter and Facebook at the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at Megadumcast and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at NXT Wrestling Fan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.